And, you know, Christmas, right? There's that song. Christmas, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap- happiest season of all. It's this great time of joy and peace. You know, I received a Christmas card here, the church did, from a local company that said, May the peace and joy of the holiday season be with you throughout the coming year. Christmas is a time of giving gifts and receiving gifts. It's kind of make-it-or-break-it season for so many retail shops, so many billions of dollars worth of purchases, all to bring happiness, all to bring fulfillment and contentment, because Christmas is all about happiness. However, Christmas, this most wonderful time of the year, this happiest season of all, perhaps really can be one of the most disappointing and even the most difficult times of the year. It can be such a time of disappointment because life itself just hasn't worked out the way we thought. It can be such a time of discouragement because of the losses we've faced in our lives. The discouragement of shattered dreams, of strained relationships, of lost loved ones, of unforeseen life challenges, of broken hearts. This happy holiday season often highlights for us the discouragement and the difficulties of our lives. I was talking to someone on the phone recently and they were saying, with just this deep tone of sadness and burden about how they hope that next year will be better than this year. It was such a hard and discouraging year for them. The truth is, is that we all face levels of loss at this Christmas time. I recorded and watched one of my mom's favorite Christmas shows. Now, you've probably never heard of it. It's called Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Now, if you've never watched it, it's free on YouTube. You can watch it because it's from way back in the 80s, way back, right? In the 80s. Um, it was great to watch it and, and to remember my mom and think about that. My mom was about four foot ten and had this very, she was an immigrant from Germany, had a very distinct voice. I've never heard anyone's voice like my mother's voice. You know, I'd give anything to hear her say my name again. We just deal with a lot of that over this Christmas time. You see, all of us face broken and strained relationships, health issues that remain debilitating, loss of loved ones, and who from our perspective were gone long before their time, because life is hard, and we know that. We face life disappointments and hard questions. We... When we're honest with ourselves and with God, we've all looked heavenward. And we've said, God, why didn't you come through for me? Well, in the opening story of the Gospel of Luke, that's a situation we find. We find a husband and a wife who've grown old together, never having had children. No heir, no child. No one to carry on the family name. No, no family legacy. Just hard questions and doubts and deep discouragement. So please open your Bibles with me to, to Luke chapter 1. And follow along as I read, starting at verse 5. The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist. 
Starting at verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Father, we pray as we look at your word now. We pray so much that you would use this word to challenge us. This eternal word, this truth, and comfort us, guide and direct us, and may the living word, Jesus Christ, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing we see in our story today is faithfulness to God doesn't mean life is easy. See, you could hardly find a more perfectly matched couple than Zechariah from the priestly line of Abijah and Elizabeth, one of the very ancestral daughters of Aaron, the brother of Moses. This couple was destined for God's richest blessings, both from great families, both with a great heritage. But not only that, verse 6 tells us they weren't just living off the past. No, they themselves were righteous, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. You see, in this time of great apostasy, where the traditions of men were overriding the teachings of God, Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful to God. And not just faithful, but exemplarily faithful. They had a stellar reputation. They were real, genuine followers of God. God wasn't their heritage. God was their life. God wasn't their tradition. He was their Lord. God wasn't their ritual. He was their friend. They loved God and they lived it out. It says that they were blameless. That doesn't mean they never did anything wrong. That just means that when they did something wrong, they responded to it as God would want them to respond to it. So when they sinned, when they hurt someone or they hurt each other, when they fell short, they would turn their hearts back to God. They would turn their hearts to his commandments. They would seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Even in the heartaches, even in the midst of life's daunting disappointments, they turned to God in love and obedience. They had everything lined up to pour out God's blessings, a godly heritage, a godly life. But it's kind of this unwritten code we have, right? God is obligated to bless me if I'm a really good follower of him, right? You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You be obedient to God, God gives you his blessings. Now, we all know that that's really bad theology. No one would say that they believe that. Because the Bible does not teach that at all. But see, we can often still fall in, kind of slip into this false teaching. Verse 7 says that Elizabeth was barren. Zechariah and Elizabeth were well advanced in years, but they never had any children. Now in our day, we might say that was sad. In our day, you have options for adoption and other kind of things. But in their day, it was considered a reproach. In their day, it was considered a judgment of God upon them to have no children. In their day, people talked about it, and they speculated behind their back. I wonder why they never had children. I wonder what they did wrong. 
Maybe they aren't as godly as they seem to be. You see, good followers of God are supposed to get good blessings from God, right? That's how the system's supposed to work. Good followers of God don't have social stigmas. Good followers of God don't, as Elizabeth said in verse 25, have a reproach among the people. No, no, good followers of God are supposed to be demonstrably blessed by God, right? Family, great. Job, great. Health, great. House, great. Bank account, awesome. Happy, healthy, prosperous. Again, we all know the Bible does not teach that. But we all too often slip into thinking that way. Sometimes you pray for healing. That doesn't happen. Sometimes a a family member makes a bad choice and it hurts the whole family. Sometimes jobs are lost at no fault of your own. Sometimes there is no money. Sometimes we're dealing with a sudden loss of a loved one. Sometimes you live a godly life, a life that's described as blameless and obedient by the scriptures, and you still don't have any children. Sometimes sad things happen to good people, even godly people. Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis had to deal with that. Hannah, we are told in 1 Samuel chapter 1, wept bitterly with a broken heart before God, praying with such earnestness year after year after year, beseeching God for a child. Now in all three of those stories, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Abraham and Sarah, Elkanah and Hannah, God performed the miracle. But here's the honest truth that you and I have to live with on a regular basis. Most often, God does not perform that miracle for us. Most often, he does not do that. And instead, we have to continue to deal with God and his word through the hard circumstance. So the question For us today is, how do you respond to God when your heart is broken? How do you respond when you become a reproach among the people? How do you respond when you pray and pray and pray and it doesn't happen? How do you respond when you are living with God? And yet he doesn't give you what you think he should. What you want from him. Zechariah and Elizabeth had long ago stopped praying for a child. Not because they had lost faith, but because they were so far advanced in years, it was no longer physically possible for them to have a child. They had prayed earnestly for years. They had probably prayed for decades, faithfully following God with no answer to their prayer. How did they respond at the end of the heartbreak? Did they blame God? Is that what we find them doing? Did they say, look at all that... I've done for God. Where is my answer? And they gave up on God. I'm sure there were great times of tears and deep questions. But nonetheless, we find them here remaining faithful to God. Was it easy to respond that way? Of course not. It was probably one of the greatest challenges of their lives. They were carrying a public reproach for not having children and had nothing to do with who they were. They had a social stigma that was of no cause of their own. They carried the burden of prejudicial rejection and unjust judgment of the people. Was it easy to remain faithful and to respond with faith? Of course not, but they did. 
See, true faith actually grows in the midst of the trials and challenges of life's disappointments. True faith grows stronger because actually in the trials and difficulties and challenges of life is the place where our faith gets its exercise. Living the Christian life is not easy street. It's not peaches and creams and rainbows and bunnies and big bank accounts and... No, living a life of faith is often hard. Perhaps you've heard the saying that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? Anyone in here believe that? I do not believe that. Not at all. Not one bit. Of course God gives us more. Sometimes God has given me so much more than I can handle. So that what? When I come to the end of my hoarded resources, so that when I come to the end of my own efforts and ability, so that when I come to the end of my rope, guess what I find? There is where I find the hope. There is where you find the strength and the wisdom that can only come from God, that only comes by living from faith, only comes trusting God during the hard times. God gives us more than we can handle on our own, in our own strength, and our own abilities, but he never gives us more than we can handle when we're relying on him, living in his strength, by his grace, through his wisdom. See, living a life of faith is often very challenging, and it's supposed to be. Living a life of faith is supposed to be challenging. Now, our Americanized Christian culture has sold us a bill of goods that's false and rotten. It's just not true. Is the true Christian life blessed? Of course it's blessed in so many amazing ways. But is it true that the Christian life is easy? Well, of course it's not. You see how often we equate in our lives, we equate blessings with ease. See, we equate blessings with comfort. We create blessings with money and luxury and things. That's Americanized Christianity. That is not biblical Christianity. Go to church this morning in Haiti and see if they equate blessings with luxury. Go to church this morning in Nicaragua or Cambodia or Burundi. Go to church in the New Testament times. And you don't find them connecting blessings with materials and comfort and ease and luxury. See, the blessings of God are too numerous to be mentioned, but they're not primarily physical. They're not primarily material. They are primarily spiritual. They are primarily relational. They are primarily from the Spirit, not from this world. The blessings of God are real and substantive and amazing. But they are not of this world. See, at this Christmas season, we need to grow beyond treating God like he's some kind of Santa Claus. And we need to engage in a real, everyday life. The God of our pain and loss. The Lord of our disappointments and challenges. The God of our regrets and heartaches. And the Lord of our hope and blessings. You see, it's when we are fully honest and transparent for God. It's when we are truly walking by faith in the depth of our being that we experience the true blessings of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth are powerfully speaking to us today through God's word. They trusted God in the midst of the hard and difficult times. They're challenging us to do the same, to trust God in the hard times, to trust God in the questioning times, to trust God when you're being unfairly judged, to trust God when hope is dashed, to trust God when prayers go unanswered, to trust God when God doesn't do what he thinks he should do, to trust God through life's disappointments. Because it's actually in those moments of trust and obedience where you find the strength and the grace and the wisdom of God. See, the life of a fully devoted follower of God can often be filled with hardships and difficulties. But the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the unbounding blessings of God are ours through all of them in the midst of those difficulties. Well, next we see in our story this morning that faithfulness to God doesn't mean that you won't be afraid. Follow along again in Luke, starting at verse 8. It says, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw it, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. See, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 24, the priests were divided into 24 divisions. And each division served in the temple for two weeks out of the year. So in our passage today, Zechariah's division was on duty for the two weeks of service at the temple. The priest on duty would then draw lots to see which ministries they would perform. And Zechariah was chosen to offer incense in the holy place. This was one of the highest honors ever for a priest's life, and it was only permitted for him to do it ever once in his lifetime. See, God is on the move here, and he's setting the stage of human history for the arrival of his son. So God, in his sovereignty, has Zechariah's priestly division on duty at the temple, and Zechariah gets chosen for a -a once-in-a-lifetime ministry moment. Why? Because God has a message to give to Zechariah. He has a message for him. Just as God has a message for Zechariah, God has a message for us today. We don't wait for angelic announcements, right? We've got something that is awesome. God's word, God's message to us. Think about that. God talking to us personally, intimately, right here for us to have so that we can know him, so that we can obey him. 
The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah while he's serving God in that holy place. And naturally, as all humans respond at the presence of supernatural beings, Zechariah was scared. Sometimes we are afraid. Sometimes we're afraid and it doesn't take an encounter with an angel for us to be afraid. We can be in fear for many reasons. Good people, godly people, can know fear and deal with fear. Even like Zechariah, we can fear what God is telling us. But also like Zechariah, we get the same response, right? Do not be afraid. What does John tell us? John tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Well, Paul tells us that for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Our fears are supposed to lead us somewhere. Our fears are supposed to lead us to the one who has overcome our fears. So the angel quickly comforts Zechariah, tells him that his prayers have been answered, prayers that they haven't prayed for in years. Elizabeth is going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. Then the angel goes on to describe all these amazing things that the, the John the Baptist will be doing. It will bring joy and rejoicing at his birth. He'll be great before the Lord. He'll be set apart from his mother's womb as a special instrument for God. He will turn many hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord their God. He'll be the forerunner of the Messiah as prophesied in Isaiah. He'll be used of God to reconcile family members, turning the heart of the fathers to their children. He'll be used of God to turn the heart of the disobedient to wisdom. He will make a people ready, prepared for the Messiah. Amazing prophecy in the ministry of Zechariah's son. So God is now on the move, and the miraculous birth of Zechariah and Elizabeth marks the beginning of the coming of the Messiah. And of course, following in all the great traditions of biblical history, Zechariah responds to the angel's announcement with disbelief. You see, faithfulness to God, being someone who's marked out biblically as, as someone who is faithful, Zechariah, faithfulness to God doesn't mean that you don't question. Again, look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and able to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. See, Zechariah was a godly man. He was a faithful and true priest. He had a real and substantive relationship with God. But when Gabriel told him that he would have a son, his thoughts went from, all that God can do to what now what he cannot do. You would think in the presence of an angel, an announcement of God's word, they would encourage Zechariah's faith. But it didn't. Instead of looking to God by faith, Zechariah looked at himself. I'm an old man. Zechariah looked at his wife. She's an old woman. This doesn't happen. 
And he just looked at the angel and said, it's not possible. He heard the good news from Gabriel and he questioned, I don't believe you. What Zechariah was really questioning was God's ability to fulfill his own word. Had this godly priest forgotten what God had done for Abraham and Sarah, for Elkanah and Hannah? Did he think that physical limitations would actually hinder the Almighty God? But folks, really, right? Zechariah is just like us. I'm pretty sure that many of us would have responded the exact same way. I'm afraid we actually do this a lot. We tell God what he can do or what we can't do. Maybe not so boldly, talking to an angel, but just the same in our prayers, in our conversations with God, as we walk by faith. When God is calling us to look to him and to walk by faith, we look around and we give him all the reasons why we can't do that, why it's not possible. We make all these logical excuses to explain, we can't really follow you by faith. It's like Peter walking on the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus looks at the fear of the wind and the waves, and just like him, instead of walking with Jesus in faith, we start to look at our own lives. We start thinking and doubt and fear. Instead of looking to Jesus, we look at our circumstances and we say, we can't do that. It's impossible. We're overwhelmed with our inadequacy. We're overwhelmed by our fears and worry. We're overwhelmed by life's difficulties. We're overwhelmed by our loss. We're overwhelmed by our desires of this earthly life. And we just tell God, following you right now is impossible. We give up and we give in to unbelief. But our unbelief never stops God from doing what he said he's going to do. What God is going to do, God is going to do. There's no moment in this history, in this story, where Zechariah's unbelief were going to slow down God's divine plan. Elizabeth is going to have a baby. His name's going to be John. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. To make sure that Zechariah got the message, the angel makes him mute. Now God, most often in our lives, doesn't come to us that way, does he? We don't have these kind of experiences. It's because of his kindness It's because of his patience. It's because of his grace that he leads us through his word. That he leads us through godly counsel and friends and church. He leads us through the guiding of his Holy Spirit. Well, perhaps today you're in a moment of fear. In a moment of questioning in your life. Perhaps today you're wondering if God is really able to do what he said. Perhaps today you're questioning whether God is really there for you. Beloved, faithfulness doesn't mean that you don't fear. Faithfulness doesn't mean that you don't question. Faithfulness means that you work through your fears with God. Faithfulness means that you're committed to go to God with your questions and to wait for his answers. Faithfulness is determined, is a determination to live by the truth. Faithfulness means that at the end of the day, the day of joy, or the day of sorrow, the day of happiness, or the day of trouble, at the end of the day you say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, last we see, we see that faithfulness has its culmination in hope. It says in Luke chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in these days. 
when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. What a miraculous blessing. What a way for God to burst on the scene and to start the redemptive story of the coming of his son. You see, God brings life out of barren places. God brings faith out of hardship. God brings strength out of pain. God brings hope out of loss. When we're at the end of our rope, we're only at the beginning of God's hope because faith has its culmination in hope. See, faithfulness doesn't find its completion in good circumstances. Faithfulness doesn't find its completion in material things. Faithfulness to God finds its culmination in the confident hope that God is who he said he is. Faithfulness to God finds its culmination in the confident hope that God will do what he said he will do. It finds its confident hope in God's truth, the ultimate reality. Faithfulness sees God's hand even in the hard times, even in the times of loss, even when things don't work out the way we wanted or expected. Faithfulness sees God's hand and continues to find confident hope in God. You see, in March of 1863, there was this 18-year-old, Charles Appleton Longfellow, who walked out of his family's house on Bradleton Street in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and unbeknownst to his family, boarded a train for Washington, D.C. to join President Lincoln's army to fight in the Civil War. Charles was the oldest of six children born to Fanny and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the celebrated literary critic and poet. Less than two years earlier, in 1861, Charles' mother, Fanny, had tragically died after her dress caught fire. Henry woke up from a nap, tried to extinguish the flames as best as he could, first with a rug and then with his own body. But she'd already suffered severe burns. She died the next morning and Henry Longfellow's facial burns were severe enough that he wasn't able to attend the funeral. He would grow a beard on his face to hide the burns on his face. After participating in the fringe battle of Chancellorville in Virginia, Charlie fell ill with typhoid fever and was sent home to recover. He rejoined his unit on August 15, 1863, having missed the Battle of Gettysburg. While dining at home on December 1st, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram. As so many over the years have received, that his son had been severely wounded four days earlier. On November 27, 1863, while involved in a skirmish during a battle of the Mine Run campaign, Charlie was shot through his left shoulder and with a bullet exiting under his right shoulder blade. It traveled across his back, skimmed his spine. Charlie barely avoided being paralyzed. On Christmas Day of 1863, Longfellow, a 57-year-old widow, father of six children, the oldest of which now was nearly paralyzed and is on this incredible long road of recovery. As this country continues to fight a war against itself, he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem seeking to capture the dynamic, what's going on in his life, the dissonance in his own heart. 
and the world that he observed around him. He heard the Christmas bells that December day and the singing of peace on earth. But he observed all the injustice and violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of God. And then that poem reaches that epic final climax where he regains his full confidence of hope in God even in the midst of despair and heartache. Listen to the poem as Longfellow wrote it. It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each bleak, accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent and made forlorn the household born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells, more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Beloved, at this Christmas time, right now, is our time to renew our confident hope in God. It is time to reinvigorate our confident hope in our Savior because our God is not dead. Our God is not asleep. No, our God is prevailing. Our God is reigning. Today is your day to take your heartache and your questions. Today is your day to take your discouragement and your doubts and to release them into hope. The confident hope that God is God. His word is true. His plan is right. His wisdom is complete. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Christian, at this Christmas season, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. May we abound in hope. And today, if you do not have hope, today, if you can't take those burdens to the cross and find hope, if today you don't know God and you don't have the means of finding that hope, then turn to him by faith today. Exchange your life of hopelessness for his life of hope. 
See, something amazing happened on that Christmas morning. Hope was born. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you are the God of hope. We can question, and we do. We can fear, and we do. We can come to you not understanding at all what is going on. And we don't understand. We don't get it. We don't know. We can come to you with all of that. And you know what we find? We find your hope. We find your grace, your forgiveness, your strength, your wisdom in the midst of despair and grief. We find a God of love and compassion and truth. And we thank you for that. It is everything to us. And on this Christmas time, at this Christmas season, we pray for a reinvigorated, renewed hope in the God of hope. That hope may abound more and more. In Jesus' name.